Welcome to episode 12. I'm Philip Ingram and today I'm talking to Flavia Kenyon, another barrister with the 36 Group. And today we're talking fake news and more. Warning, you might actually learn something. Oh, good afternoon, Flavia. Thank you very much indeed for talking to me. Good afternoon, Philip, and thank you very much for having me. Can, can you tell the listeners to this podcast a little bit about you, where you fit in, what are of the course. areas that you specialise in? Yes. So I have been a barrister for 15 years and I have developed a particular expertise and interest in cyber litigation. Now, the topic of integrity of content, fighting disinformation and deep fakes is very close to me because I've been interested in this topic for a very, very long time. In fact, since I was a student studying English literature and reading Orwell, 1984. But even before then, going back to the year 1984, when I was growing up as a child, as a young adolescent, in a real dystopian society, uh, it was a neo-Stalinist dictatorship, Ceausescu's Romania, where we were fed a diet of Orwellian double think and double um, speak and uh, language was used as a method of controlling thought well it's spreading ideology yeah it's, it's, it's fascinating you say that because um uh, the old soviet bloc um the ussr the 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 russians have a doctrine um that they actively teach out not just through their their military communities but it also uh, pervades across all of the political structures that they have and and the doctrine is called maskarovka um, masking um, and it's all about uh, spinning things uh, getting uh, fake news out as donald trump calls it today um but but putting messages out in a, in a way where they're using information to create an effect and it's fascinating that you grew up with that yes yeah, so i grew up really with distrusting language that was put out on any form of media albeit we didn't have access to lots of media at the time but everything that was publicized i was um, uh, brought up and taught not to trust mm-hmm. because it used a language that deliberately um obscured and a language that deliberately uh, was manipulated to hide the truth yep um for for a for a political reason which forward back in time to 2020, uh, as you say, um, is nothing new, um, is not something that Trump has discovered. Uh, Fake news has been going on for a very, very long time. And disinformation, particularly now, you know, I, th- I think we're, we're seeing fake news um, developing uh, a, a complete... Fake news seems to have taken on a, a, a complete face of itself, um, given the way the, uh, the US president seems to um, accuse everyone of it um, all of the time. And given the, his comments on using disinfectant to internally cure uh, COVID-19, it seems as if we don't need a lot of these fake news accounts to create disruption across across the world. Yes, absolutely. I... I um... <laughs> I did hear the uh, uh, president's announcement um, today and um, it it made me laugh. Yes, absolutely. It's very important, particularly in the current climate, really, to be able to tell fact from fiction and truth from lie. And the technology uh, of which I talked about in my um, article of deep fakes, that technology really challenges the way we perceive um, reality and is... um, is a very um, powerful 
or can be a very powerful tool in the wrong hands and spreading disinformation and fake news. And, and deep, deep fakes coming in, especially now whenever um, so much business is being done over um, electronic means such as you, we're on Zoom at the moment or you've Microsoft Teams or um, other capabilities uh, exist. If, if, if you could put deep fakes into that, um, it gives another layer to um, a fraudster's ability to try and influence things uh, in a criminal way? Absolutely. Uh, first of all, perhaps I don't know how many of our listeners are familiar with the um, concept and with the idea what, of deep fakes. I'll just very briefly explain it in very simple terms. Deep fakes really are synthetic media as opposed to real media. So what they are, they are audio and visual content that has been digitally uh, manipulated uh, using artificial intelligence, making a person do or say something that they did not. There is a very famous or infamous, <laughs> uh, depending <laughs> infamous, on how you I see think, it, yes, um, yes um, BuzzFeed uh, Obama deep fake video. I think that's a very good illustration of showing of basically teaching, if you like, people and giving them a stark warning and, and the need to verify content before hold, uh, you know, holding it as truth. It uses the comedian Jordan Peele to give that warning, pretending to be Obama. Yep. Um, and the message really there is seeing is no longer believing. Um, and that is, as I said, deep fakes in themselves challenge the very idea of how we perceive reality. And that becomes even more complicated because it obviously deep fakes operate in cyberspace. And, and, and as you say, they, they, they can become a very powerful cyber weapon and uh, can be used for all sorts of purposes, fraud being one, absolutely. Um, in fact, uh, during my research, I have come across certain cases that have already uh, happened where this technology was used in the form of voice cloning deepfake, mm -hmm. where, you know, for example, the user uses the um, copies successfully the voice of a CEO of a company and calls the company's secretary, for example, instructing the uh, secretary to, to transfer funds to a compromise account. Yep. That sadly has already happened. So the technology has become so advanced and has become more and more real. So therefore, more and more difficult to detect. I think the BBC brought, the, brought this to, um, out into the public domain last year when they put their, their, their series, The Capture, I think it was called, on showing um, deep faking of CCTV uh, imagery to manipulate the way investigations were going to go into some um, very nasty... Uh, uh, criminal activity. Absolutely, yes, and it, it's very uh, it, it, the whole the very idea that if every video has the potential to be a fake, it's it offers therefore people the opportunity to challenge the veracity of genuine footage, for example. Yeah. So yes, you're right. It, it causes this very troubling <laughs> situation where how how are images going to be. Uh, stills or moving? How are they going to be trusted as physical evidence, for example, in a criminal investigation, mm -hmm. but in any investigation for that matter? Because what will happen is the position where an investigator or uh, law enforcement in the future will have to prove not just what is false, but also what is true. Mm -hmm. So it has caused this, um, or has the potential to cause this very unusual situation where we cannot 
trust what we see. So therefore, we have to create a technology equally by using AI as a in detecting deep fake technology, using AI as a force for good uh, and creating deep fake detection technology as a way of ensuring um, that a system is able to certify the veracity of audio or and or visual content. Mm-hmm. And throughout my research, I have come across um, various um, companies and the software developments in the field of um, provenance checking, for example, yep. which would be a way of authenticating um, third-party content, which would be very important for all media um, companies. And the BBC, for example, and I gave that as an example, the BBC has run a very successful service called Reality Check. Yep. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic service. Yes, and it, it, that service really is there to authenticate factual content. Yeah. So perhaps in the future, bearing in mind the threat of deep fakes, the BBC or any media company will have to invest in software which does a similar thing to authenticating audio and visual content in a similar fashion because it's very important to... Um, be able to screen material before it's being broadcast. Yeah, but, it's, but te- te- technically that shouldn't be too difficult because of the, um, I presume it's not being done at the moment, but the metadata that's at the back of any recording, um, you should be able to run through that and see if there are any changes in the metadata that would suggest that something has been edited um, at different points um, or uh, something else has been has been put in and changed. Yes, exactly. So they can use that as a bank to compare and contrast the footage that they're dealing with, for example, or the audio yeah. that they're dealing with. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think there are quite a few companies uh, working in this area, and I think it will become more and more important uh, particularly in the light of the fact that there is at the moment a complete vacuum of, um, you know, a regulatory, a, a legal vacuum, if you like. Yeah. So the government is uh, proposing through um, white paper at the moment a new legal and uh, regulatory framework to address online harms, which yeah. I think is fantastic. I think it's a salutary step forward. I think it will uphold the rule of law online. And I think very, very importantly, will introduce the legal concept of duty of care and responsibility, accountability on the part of um, tech companies addressing a range of online harms, disinformation being just one of them, because there are so many harms out there that users are exposed to. Interestingly, on on that law, the... um... Uh, I was speaking to someone yesterday who uh, had just come out of a meeting with the Home Office, uh, and it's one of the uh, top two priorities for the Home Office uh, once we start to um, come out of this lockdown or start to get um, more normal activity going on. Uh, There's that, and there's the law that's looking at um, mandating um, basic requirements to crowded places uh, on the back of the um, horrific attack in Manchester. Yes, absolutely. And you know the the use of, um, of of deep fakes online and the potential for harm is vast because with the growth of the technology, there is a need to to regulate how content and to, to to regulate the integrity and preserve the integrity of content online and to be able to do something to counteract this growth of, of um mm-hmm. in technology and the, and the law can't 
keep up really with with technology. And I think the government are doing a really good thing in introducing this idea of duty of care and of holding tech companies responsible. And also introducing the, um, there's a proposal for an independent regulator, for example, overseeing mm. the framework. So, so would, would, that, would, that law, would, would that law, do you think, um, uh, do something to ensure that tech companies stop these sort of botnets of accounts you see being set up uh, and promoting either fake news or d- disinformation or you know, the pushing out a, a, a propaganda piece to try and influence people rather than um, inform people correctly? Yes, I think I think the government's proposal is to, of course, um, use this framework based on the test of proportionality. I mean, one must safeguard the freedom of expression, which which is fundamental. But based on proportionality and on evidence of risk, I think the introduction of the duty of care designed to ensure companies have appropriate systems and processes in place to safeguard people from harm online and you're absolutely right and there have been just just this month to give an example month of april twitter has been actually extremely proactive in this way has taken down a network of more than nine thousand twitter bots mm-hmm. and how it, this happened is, is also very interesting is that a group of researchers uncovered the network by simply searching for coronavirus related hashtags okay and under the guise of coronavirus related posts a closer inspection of the accounts actually revealed that these accounts were used for political messaging. Mm -hmm. And these accounts, for example, were created on the same, they had similar features. They were created on the same day within a short um, space of time. They had no followers. They were targeting special groups. And the primary purpose of, uh, of the accounts was to amplify and spread ideology connected to certain countries. Okay. It had nothing to do with engaging with, with Twitter community. So Twitter took it upon itself to take down this bot network, mm-hmm. which I think this is this is going to be the way forward. That is an example, if you like, of Twitter um, doing this in compliance with their duty of care. Yep. So this is exactly how the government's thinking, which I think is brilliant, um, is already happening on behalf of Twitter, for example. And, and there, is, there is the sort of growing and darker aspect to this bot-driven political uh, rhetoric that has to be controlled, yep. that has to be regulated. And deep fake technology is now apparently so easy to make. Uh, and on Twitter, anyone can set up a network of bots disseminating propaganda. Ceausescu in the olden days had an entire country, a network of informants spreading this. Uh, I'm sure were he alive today, he would have embraced deep fake technology. Well, uh, uh, and we, we see the accusations from certain countries, certain nation states who you know, they are, have been trying to influence elections across the place. You know, there's, uh, the, it, it's widely reported, the accusations that there are about Russian interference into US elections, the uh, elections into, into Europe and, and elsewhere. And that's something that is at the forefront of everyone's mind. Is, is this technology in, in in your view something that is being exploited primarily by by nation states or is it um, organized crime gangs at, at a higher level or is it both or where, where is it sitting i think both really i think there are there are lots of actors if i could call them if i can call it that way um, <laughs> yes. who, who use this technology um because 
it is easy to use, as I said, and it is a gives the opportunity to address a vast amount of people worldwide. And there are groups that there are state actors, yes. And in the case of Twitter, the accounts were linked with Saudi Arabia and United Arab Emirates. Mm-hmm. Um, in other cases, groups um, spreading ideology using botnets with a purpose of discord and division and creating social unrest it's it's it is troubling because it has immense power to disseminate propaganda and disinformation and and not around the world really have the digital literacy if you like um and capability to be able to tell fact from fiction yep and they are vulnerable and that is why i go back to the government's idea of protection and of making sure that everyone is protected, irrespective of their digital literacy or not. Um, it is a, a duty which should be embraced worldwide by all companies who operate online and who... Given this, do you think... I, I don't know what the legal position is, is at the moment with regard to the fake news that's out there. And do you think that companies uh, that... Uh, allow their staff to repost stuff and all the rest of it have a, a wider duty of care to society and could leave themselves wide open not just from a reputational perspective but from a legal perspective if if they allow um, anything that is falls into the category of fake news to be uh, reposted through their accounts well at the moment as i said there's a as a legal vacuum there is no we don't have there's no offense of of allowing fake news on a platform okay or publishing it on the platform. There's no there's no offence there engaged. But what is going to be uh, in the future um, with this new framework of protecting users, um, internet users from harm, the online harms um, white paper, it, that, that is the suggestion that, and the implementation of powers vested within an independent regulator to mm-hmm. oversee um, how companies deal with um, such material because it will inevitably trigger senior management liability if if such content is allowed on platforms on social media platforms yeah and, and that independent regulator is is an essential component to ensure the freedom of speech remains um, sacrosanct yes so the independent regulator the test will be based on proportionality safeguarding freedom of expression and of course, on evidence of risk of harm, mm-hmm. and then the duty of care will be engaged and will be a balancing test for the independent regulator in overseeing this with powers to enforce, such as I think the proposal is for to issue warnings, substantial fines, and even um, including uh, business disruption measures, including internet service provider blocking, and as I said, senior management liability. So the user, the victim, if you like, um, will have a recourse and address in law. Okay. So it, it is, and is this, is this going to form part of civil law or criminal law, do you think? Well, at the moment, civil law, but, but um, I think this, the government will have to think how this will work hand in hand with criminal powers. At the moment, the Computer Misuse Act 1990 is the main act that deals with cyber criminal offences described Mm -hmm. as hacking offences. And at the moment, that act is not really adequate to meet the harms caused by 
deep fakes. No, the digital Although, environment has changed hugely since 1990. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, there is the, it requires a bit of creativity, really. <laughs> I mean, there's already there built into the act, the idea of impairing the reliability of, of, of data. Okay. Um, and I found a case going back to 2002 where the Court of Appeal was very creative in the interpretation and referred to, you know, to material that tells a lie about itself would be sufficient to impair the operation of a computer. Well, okay. deep fake yeah. technology is material that tells lie about itself. So there is, there's already there. There is a... So there's there, a criminal offence that's there at the moment. Ah, interesting. There is, well, but it's never been tested, you see, in ah. the context of deep fakes. So there's a section three uh, of the act that talks about impairing the reliability of, uh, of data, but that hasn't been tested. So it may or may not bite in a deep fake attack. And of course, it depends on the um, complexity of the attack, the sophistication of it. Because and, it and the difficulty a lot of the time is is uh, attributing the attack. Um, exactly, that, that, because the algorithms are so complex. Yeah. Uh, it may be very difficult to attribute, yes. Yeah, and, 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 and therefore, who do you, who do you prosecute? Uh, exactly, the, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that is why I think having an all-encompassing duty of care is a clever way by the government to proceed forward in ensuring a, a safer environment online. Yeah, fantastic. So when, when when's this due to come in? Um, how is it going to affect the, your, the, the areas that you're working in? Uh, and who should be uh, coming to try and seek uh, advice from you um, in the run-up to this? Well, we don't know at the moment the exact timescale that the government has in mind in introducing this piece of legislation. Uh, but I think from what you say, I think this is a top priority for the government, bearing in mind the disinformation with regards to COVID-19. Yep. So I hope that it will come into force very soon. At least, I don't know, in the next couple of years, it should be yeah. up and running, I hope. That's my <laughs> hope. As to who will be affected by this, well, all companies really that have um, that provide services online mm -hmm for users to interact with and to interact with themselves online. So it's very vast because a lot of what we do nowadays is online. So companies really would need to um, reassess their position with regards to this new regulatory framework and see if they come under it, if they offer such services to users. And if they do, they will have to seek legal advice and see what they can do in order to, for example, invest in deepfake detection technology, mm -hmm. what cover they need in order to protect themselves and the senior management from liability, how the protection will work in actual fact. Is a protection, as I said before, on the lines of the BBC reality check factual content, how that's going to be upgraded to audio and video um, content, mm -hmm. um, how authenticating third party content will work. So all these measures will have to be thought through very careful, very carefully and implemented in order to protect themselves. Also, interpretation of the um, government's um, regulatory work, a framework mm -hmm. that comes into force, that will be needed. And of course, they will have to keep in mind that there are powers that will be invested within the independent regulator that they will have to 
um, abide by. So it's 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 a new world, really, in many ways. In many ways, a complete um, new world. But we're 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 playing catch up. It's absolutely fascinating subject area. Um, yes, and, it is, and one we're going to hear more and more of, I suspect. Yes, it is, and it's 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 a it's a new world for lawyers as well as it is for companies. And I think joined up thinking is required and a lot of creativity as well is required yeah well for, for for the lawyers that are listening out there and any of the companies that are listening out there i'll, I'll put the contact details for flavius clarks in the blurb at the, at, underneath the this podcast on on my site um but flavia i could talk to you all day about <laughs> this because it's it is a fascinating subject and it's one of my pet subject areas um, as I said uh, before we started recording this, um, you know, I look to fake news back to the 6th century to that great Chinese philosopher Sun Tzu who said um, all deception is warfare, all warfare is deception um, and therefore this is nothing new. Um, but thank yeah. you very much indeed for giving up some of your time to talk to me on um, the, the Chatting with Ingram podcast series. Well thank you very much Philip, I really really enjoyed it. Thank you.